0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org grab a seat if you would. If you have a Bible, I'll invite you to do two things with it. One, go to uh, one of the first pages of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, and then uh, two, just kind of nimble up your fingers and get ready uh, because we're going to be in a handful of different places this morning. So if you're new to the Bible, uh, follow along. It'll also be up here on the screen for you. Uh, But it's a fantastic day. It's a great day to be uh, with God's people, opening up God's word, inviting his spirit to speak to us, to minister to us, to sit beside uh, brothers and sisters. In the faith. So welcome. Uh, So glad that you're, if you're joining us online, welcome. We're excited from wherever you are that you're joining us um, as well. Uh, Well, we are pausing Romans for four weeks. Uh, We're going to do a a special three week series and then Easter. And then I promise you after that, we're going to get back to Romans uh, and we are going to finish it up. The problem is there's just too much good stuff in the Bible. Uh, We want to preach it all at the same time. And so we've just got to pick and choose. But what I want to do for these next three weeks. is to set aside some time leading up to when you celebrate the resurrection at Easter uh, to look very specifically at the cross Uh, because everybody gets really excited and they should uh, about Easter but Easter doesn't mean anything without the cross. Uh, The resurrection doesn't carry the weight that it should without understanding the backstory. It would be like trying to to celebrate the 4th of July without understanding anything about the Revolutionary War. They are inextricably linked. Um, So I want to look at the cross maybe uh, in a different way uh, than you have uh, looked at it in the past. Uh, It is such an unbelievable uh, topic. It's one of the weightiest events that has happened in human history, so you could spend uh, years, and many of you have, trying to understand what the depth of the cross means, uh, what it means for you, uh, for your life, for your relationships. Uh, But I want to look at it um, uh, really in this lens. It's very specific, the way that God designed Jesus to sacrifice his life. He could have done it in a lot of ways, but very specifically, God chose a cross. Why a cross? What was he trying to accomplish uh, through this very specific way, very horrific way uh, for someone to die? And I'm posing these next three weeks that what Jesus was doing on the cross uh, was dealing with the three biggest problems that humanity has, uh, the three biggest problems that you have. Uh, If you're in uh, Genesis chapter 3, stay ready. Uh, This is, uh, for those of you brand new to the Bible, this is the backdrop. What has happened? Not much has happened thus far. We're on page two. Uh, God's created everything is exactly how he wanted it to work, uh, flourishing with uh, incredible peace and joy, and Adam and Eve were there, and they had named the animals, and everything was right, everything was good, Uh, and then uh, Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God's authority. Uh, They sinned against God. We call that the fall of man, and with the fall of man came a brokenness that would penetrate every piece of Our lives. Uh, And with the fall that we see in Genesis 3, three main feelings or emotions that had never been felt that are your biggest problem, my biggest problem, you probably have dealt with these at some point this week uh, entered into humanity fear entered. They had never felt fear before, and after sinning against God, they felt fear for the first time. Uh, They had never felt guilt, did not know what it meant uh, until they sinned, and then they they felt this guilt, and they had never felt shame before. Um, They had never felt just the the horrific weight of uh, shamefulness, Uh, and when they sinned, these three things infiltrated humanity, and I, I could probably take a guess that those three things have deeply Affected your life, maybe even deeply affected the the morning that you've had just getting here um, this morning. So you see, in the first part of Genesis, that fear, guilt, and shame were never meant to be part of humanity, part of your story, and yet sin sin brings them in, and they've probably affected your attitude, right? Fear uh, a lot of times represents itself in our hearts through anxiety, uh, and that probably has, uh, for many of us, taken a toll on our attitude, on how we look at life, on the outlook we have uh, for life. Uh, Oftentimes, the way we deal with fear or the way we don't deal with it uh, is so detrimental to our health. Uh, It can actually do some things to uh, the way that we Navigate just physically uh, throughout life. Uh, no doubt those three things have taken a toll on our relationships. Uh, normally, when we feel shame, there's a, a way in which we hide from people and we retract from people. Uh, if you feel guilt, there's a way that you respond to people. Uh, if you're fearful that you're going to get hurt, you will withhold yourself from people. Uh, relationally, those three things have been wreaking havoc on us for a long time. Uh, decisions, uh, fear, ha- normally, this is not a good thing, but for most of us, us. Fear plays a big part in the decisions we make. And when we make decisions out of fear, they're rarely the right ones. They're rarely the godly ones. And yet that's a factor for us uh, when we're trying to make decisions. Uh, it's affected our soul. It's affected everything inside, everything outside. And it was not uh, God's design. Uh, before I work through uh, the one of these that we are going to look at this morning, I want to really show you how, how predominant these three problems are, fear, guilt, and shame. All of us, to some extent, feel and have been affected by all three, yet what sociologists and missiologists have uh, found over the years is that uh, a culture or a group of people normally will have one of those three things that they feel more than the others, and it becomes such a predominant factor in that culture, that it kind of reshapes an entire group of people. An entire culture can be reshaped around one of these three things. And so, sociologists, a lot of secular sociologists that aren't necessarily uh, looking at things from a Christian perspective, have noticed there's three types of cultures on the planet. There are fear-based, there are uh, guilt-based, and there are shame-based. Uh, missiologists, which are uh, people that are trying to look at the world through the eyes of a missionary, have come to the exact same conclusion, although by means of a different way, by means of the Scripture, not just looking around to see what's taking place. uh, They've recognized that if we're going to truly share the gospel, uh, we need to show People, individual people, yes. Also, collective cultures, how the cross very specifically answers the main problem and the main way that they feel their brokenness. So let me uh, take a moment to uh, pick these apart. First ones, uh, and this is all coming out of Genesis 3. So these three things happen to all of humanity, but over time, cultures tend to uh, kind of wrap themselves and feel one of these problems more than the other. So, some cultures end up being like a fear based culture, right? Um, the, the main problem that they feel from the brokenness of men is fear. And so, the antidote to fear is power, right? This is the spectrum. There's fear on the, this far side uh, and power on this side. And if the problem is fear, then you have to go looking for a solution. And the solution has to be something more powerful than what you're afraid of. Uh, If you hear the word cancer, all of a sudden you become fearful of what cancer might do. And so what do you do? You go looking for someone who has enough power to deal with your fear. Uh, You will look for the most powerful chemo that you can. Uh, You will look for the most powerful doctor that you can. Why? Because you need to find some power that is strong enough to deal with your fear. So a fear power-based culture, uh, the biggest problem that they feel is fear. What they're looking for is power. Uh, this is a lot of animistic cultures. A lot of cultures in Africa are fear-based uh, cultures looking for power. And so what they feel is evil and what they look for is, uh, is a shaman or, or someone who's powerful enough or has some spells that are powerful enough to uh, deal with what they're afraid of. So they're looking for power. And what's interesting is that when you uh, show up to preach the gospel uh, and even to just tell stories about Jesus in a fear-based culture what they just what they love are stories about Jesus casting out demons and showing that he is a, he's a warrior he's incredibly powerful uh, that's what speaks uh, to the need they have because if they are fearful they're looking for power somewhere and they need to know the most ultimate place to find power is Jesus, that Jesus answers not only their biggest personal fears, but the the fears of of the the entire culture. Uh, Second, you have guilt-based cultures, which I would make the case this has been uh, the United States uh, really from the birth of our nation up until what I believe is recently there's a massive shift taking place uh, in our culture. Uh, So guilt-based cultures, obviously the biggest thing that they feel is guilt. Most of the time, this is built upon a shared value system where we believe there is right and wrong, Uh, we believe in morality, Uh, we believe that truth is not something that we just come up on our own, it's external to us, and if there is a truth and there are uh, laws, then if we violate those laws, inevitably, as imperfect people, we're going to feel guilt. And the antidote to guilt is innocence. So if you have a culture that mainly feels guilt, we're going to be looking to try to alleviate that somewhere, some way, whether saying something to ourselves, changing what we believe, or looking for a way out of that, because nobody wants to live under guilt for a long time, then the answer is innocence. What we love to hear are things like Romans, Right? Or we love to hear this kind of picture, this metaphor that uh, we have been pro- brought to, to court. Jesus is the judge. We're guilty. But after the cross, he just declares us innocent. Uh, that that alleviates the problem that we feel as a culture. While every American, I believe, ha- has felt all three, predominantly and historically as a culture, we have been a guilt, uh, innocence-based culture. So we love the story of, uh, of being declared innocent. It's interesting to me that for most Americans, and maybe this is true for you, maybe it's not, uh, but for most Americans, uh, when you start reading the stories about Jesus's Powerful encounters with spirits. It doesn't quite do the same thing for an American that it does for, let's say, an African, because they're they're feeling the brokenness in a different way. And then the last, uh, uh, the last is a shame-based culture. Uh, the predominant feel or the predominant problem a culture feels is shame, not necessarily fear, not necessarily guilt. And so, if the predominant problem is shame then the antidote that you're seeking out is some way to have our honor restored. In a few weeks, I'll tease this out a little more, but I think the United States, I think the culture we live in is very quickly moving towards a shame and honor culture where the gospel not only needs to be portrayed as the way that we become innocent and the way that our fears are relieved, but the way that we are secure in our identity and our honor Is restored. So, if you have a culture that is shame-based, looking for honor, uh, many um, Eastern countries are like this. Japan is like this. Where honor, it's a high priority, and uh, so the the worst thing you can do in the Japanese culture is to dishonor your family name. Uh, And they are, if they dishonor. Their family, uh, fear is not a big problem for them because there's something called a shame killing, where if they have brought too much shame to the family name, they restore that honor by taking their own life. It's like fear is not even in the picture, guilt's not even in the picture. What is driving the culture is finding a way to restore honor. And so if you have a culture that is uh, dealing with shame, looking for honor, uh, what they gravitate towards, they love stories like the prodigal son. Um, the prodigal son who absolutely dishonored his family, his family's name, uh, his parents. And when he came back, the, the, the reality that God would restore, that the father in this story would restore the honor of his son, it, it meets a need that they, they feel. Okay, so the, the question that I'm posing for the next few weeks with that in the backdrop is why a cross of all the ways that the Son of God could have infiltrated humanity and given his life, he could have picked a moment in history where he died by lethal injection, uh, still died but very painless, Uh, maybe picked a different moment in time where there was a different means for him to give his life. Why did God, from eternity past, decide that he was going to Work throughout history to bring about the death of Jesus on a cross. Why a cross? And here's the quick answer it is a very calculated and precise way that God is dealing with guilt. He is dealing with guilt on the cross by the innocent dying for the guilty. It's a very precise way that He is dealing with fear. He is meeting the epitome of fear, which for us at the end of the line, all of our fears find their culmination in death. He is meeting death head on to defeat it, and he is crucified naked in public as a criminal in the most shameful way that you could imagine. Why? Because God is trying to not trying to. He is actively restoring the honor where shame has infiltrated. So why a cross? This is not just uh, a random moment in history where the, uh, the Romans happened to be doing this. This was God very specifically waging war on the three things that have wrecked your life and my life and our culture and society and the history of humanity more than anything. It's a very precise answer uh, for God putting things back together. So for this morning, uh, what I want to talk about. I know that's a long entry, a long intro, but uh, that intro is going to stand for the next few weeks as we tease apart these three uh, things. So, today, what I want to talk about is uh, looking through some different scriptures from honestly the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, about fear. Where does fear come from? What does it do to us? And how does the cross deal with human fear? Okay? Genesis chapter 3. Told you we would get there. Here we are. Uh, where did fear come from? Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Read in your Bibles or watch on the screen here. Uh, this is right immediately after uh, sin, and rebellion, brokenness, and the fall happened. It says, "...and then the eyes of both," that's Adam and Eve, "...were opened." And they knew that they were naked. They were naked before, but they didn't have this sense of shame that came with it. They knew that they were naked, so they attempted to restore their honor. They attempted to fix their shame that they were feeling. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Uh, I went to uh, Peru a few years ago uh, on a mission trip and actually had a, a loincloth made, custom made out of alpaca, and I did not bring it as a visual aid for you, so you're welcome we continue. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which the day before they sinned was like, awesome. God's here. It's going to be great. We're going to walk with him. Something changed when sin entered. They heard the, they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid. They'd never had to hide before, and they whatever broke inside of them caused them to try to run, try to hide. Try to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, God pursuing them the same way he pursues us in our brokenness. Sometimes when you feel like hiding, he just won't let you hide. He loves you too much. So he's chasing after them. And he says, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Verse 10, he says, and he said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden. And I was, what's the word? Afraid. That, that, that emotion had never been felt before. They did not know what it was, I believe. That something happened and all of a sudden God approaching them caused them to be afraid. And I don't know if you've ever, I'm, well, I'm sure to some extent you felt fear, right? Some of us may be more extreme than others, but, but we felt fear and just like true or false, it's not a good feeling. We don't like fear we don't enjoy fear. It causes us to have knots in our stomach. It has physiological changes. It has uh, relational implications. So for the very first time, they felt when God was approaching them, uh, they felt fear. They were afraid because I was naked, he says, and I hid myself. Uh, where does fear come from? Sin birthed fear. That's not by design, not by the way that God created things to be. One of the implications of rebellion against God was humanity feeling Fear. That's the first question. Where does fear come from? Uh, what does it do? I think it's interesting that uh, what we fear, there's a lot of things that we fear, and I thought about going through a whole long list, but then I thought I didn't want you to walk out with more anxiety uh, and more fear maybe than you came in. You're like, yeah, I was doing great till he started listing off all the things I'm afraid of. But uh, just a few things that I think are, are helpful for us to know and to name, if we're going to deal with fear, we need to know where it comes from. Uh, God, verse 10 in chapter 3, they were afraid of God because they had sinned against Him. And that is a, a logical place uh, to be afraid. Maybe you say, you're like, well, I just don't, I don't have that. I don't feel that. Uh, when I sin, I'm not afraid of God, okay? You should be. <laughs> right? Without the cross, if you, like, we just kind of, we downplay our sin and we downplay God's holiness. Where if we have an accurate view of God's holiness and our sin, that he's just more holy than you think uh, and I think, and we're more wicked and we're more sinful, we're more broken than we think. And if we have an accurate view of our sin and His holiness, when you sin against God, when you rebel against His commands and authorities, you should be afraid, (laughs) like you should. There's an answer to that. We'll get to that in a minute, so good news is coming. Uh, But they were afraid uh, of God when they sinned. Number two, oftentimes they're afraid of the unknown. Uh, There's a lot of things out there that we just don't know. As I talk to people over the years, a lot of people just uh, are always thinking through uh, worst-case scenarios. How many of you, this is your problem? Uh, Nothing bad has ever happened, but you're just imagining all the bad things that could potentially happen. Uh, The spouses in the room of you, they're looking at you right now. Uh, Mark Twain had something interesting. He said, my life has been full of terrible fears uh, that none of them ever happened. (laughs) It's like sometimes we can just be afraid of, well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? And just consistently be coming up with all these different things where uh, we're fearful of things that may or may not happen, but it changes the way that we live. Uh, Interestingly enough, Jesus, uh, throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the stories of Jesus. Uh, Over and over and over, Jesus is dealing with, he's addressing people's fear and their anxiety because uh, there's constantly people around Jesus and they're always afraid of something, just you and, like you and I. They always have some type of fear. And so Jesus is confronting that. Uh, let me run through a list of people that had some fears and they interacted with Jesus. There were some that were uh, fearful of terminal illness or uh, physical disability um, that caused them to have some fear. Uh, Some of them were fearful over the death of a loved one. Uh, Some of them were fearful over sickness, uh, pain, and disease. Uh, Some were fearful over spiritual oppression or spiritual warfare that was taking place. Uh, Some were fearful of financial security or of uh, what they might be able to have by way of savings or by the economy. Uh, Some were fearful of their physical safety uh, if war were to break out. Uh, Some were fearful of their damaged reputation or being rejected by somebody in their family or in their community. Uh, Some were fearful of uh, the suffering of a child, and many were fearful of death. And there's a long list because humanity has been infiltrated by fear, and Jesus dealt with it. Jesus talked about it often. He was confronting fear in people. And so if you look at most of the fears that we have and most of the list of phobias, which I'll spare you running through all the list of phobias, I'll just say this, it's long. At the end of most of our fears is death. Because death is this, it's, the Bible paints it as this enemy uh, that is the greatest enemy that we have. Are we scared of cancer? Yeah, kind of, um, but we're really fearful of the death it brings. Are we scared of heights? Yeah, kind of, but it's more the sudden stop at the end, right? Like all the phobias and the fears that we have, they find their power at some point in death. So if, God, if Jesus specifically is going to deal with fear in your life, he can't exhaustively deal with fear unless he deals with what? Death. What is Jesus doing on the cross? Why the cross? Because Jesus is going to sufficiently and fully deal with death, therefore removing the reasons for us to live in fear. Uh, Why is fear such a problem? I know most of these are not going to be new to you, but uh, just to help us realize the weight of the cross and what Jesus is doing, I want to run through a few of these. Number one, it's not how we were designed to live. Uh, We weren't designed to live in fear and anxiety. Number two, uh, you can't have fear and peace. You have to pick one because they can't coexist in the same place. And if you want peace, we have to learn how to identify and to fight against fear got to pick one or the other fear or peace fear causes anxiety anxiety steals peace uh, number 3 uh, you can't have fear and faith Fear and faith can't occupy the same place. If you want to live a life of faith, and I hope that you do, faith where you trust God, faith where you're moving forward into the unknown, the enemy of that is fear. You can't live in faith and live in fear. Number four, it affects our relationships. It just does. Uh, Fear affects the way that we are willing to invest in other people, um, to be vulnerable with other people. Number 5 fear can really just stop you from living your life we uh, can be so afraid that we sterilize everything that we uh, put helmets on everyone that we uh, wear masks that we sanitize that we bubble wrap the children before we send them out into public and we just kind of can can stop living our lives am i all about safety yes but there's a way in which fear can just cripple you and as the great theologian William Wallace said all men die Not all men truly live. I was going to work on my Scottish accent, but I didn't have time uh, this morning. And then fear affects decision-making. If you're wanting to make good, godly decisions, fear is a bad factor fear factor. I just thought of that. It's a bad for those of you like in the 90s, early 2000s, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's, it's a bad factor to use if you're trying to make good godly decisions. My pastor, when I was younger, uh, he told me this, and I think it's incredibly wise. Uh, he said, never make a decision based on fear or comfort. If we make decisions based on fear or comfort, they're not going to be godly decisions. What do we make our decisions on? Based on godliness and what's right, and faith and courage. If you are like me, you look back in your past, many of the bad decisions that I've made uh, were driven by fear, not faith, not obedience, not courage, uh, I was reminded, uh, it's Keith and Becky's anniversary today. Keith uh, is one of our elders. Happy anniversary. Uh, they gave me the first reason to ever come visit Midland. Um, so praise God, I left there, never thought I'd come back and move my whole family and be here forever. Um... And yet, here we are. Uh, When we talked about and thought about moving to Midland to plant a church, uh, we moved here seven years ago this summer. Uh, The number one reason that I was kind of having second thoughts was fear. It's like, I have three kids. Our youngest, Hudson, had some heart problems. He was on uh, heart medication four times a day, and uh, there was a lot of risk in leaving a job where I had a salary and I had uh, health insurance and moving to the desert and trying to plant a church. Like, there was a lot of fears, uh, and uh, I met with one of my mentors mentors, Dr. Rick Kallenberg, who was at our church there, and he just simply said, don't ever make a decision based on fear. Does God want you to do it or not? Is it good for the kingdom or not? Make your decision based on godliness, the revealed will of God, courage and faith, not fear. Because if you let fear infect your decision making, you're not going to live a faithful life for Jesus. So all those reasons why we've got to deal with fear. Uh, Two things. There's a lot. There's been a lot of ink spilt, a lot of incredible books written about the cross uh, over the centuries, a lot of things that we could talk about, about what the cross does. Two main things I want to talk about for how the cross then deals with our fear. Number one, this answers the problem that Adam and Eve had in Genesis 3. Because of the cross, you no longer need to fear God when you sin. And that's the essence of the gospel. When they heard God walking in the garden and they had sinned, their response was, uh-oh, got to hide. If he finds us, this is not going to be good, this is going to be bad. How does he deal with that? The cross. Jesus deals with our fear of God by being our substitute on the cross, the innocent dying for the guilty. And so that when you come to the cross, Jesus forgives you. So how do you get to interact now as a Christian in the cross with God when you sin? The, the exact opposite way that Adam and Eve did in the garden. See, they, they sinned They're like, oh, no, God's coming. He's going to punish us. We got to run. We got to hide. Because of the cross, Jesus dealt with that. So when you sin, and even as a Christian, it's just you're, you're going to sin. You're going to have weak moments. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. And when you do, because of the cross, you get to then run to God, not away from God. The cross is incredibly important. And I think this infiltrates so many, so much of us more maybe than, than we're willing to admit. Because as, as a Christian, I know many of you, most of you, you're professing Christians. Um, and the way that you become a Christian is how you respond to Christ the cross. Like, if you repent and believe, then Jesus forgives you. He saves you. That's a transaction, much like being born, that's once for all time. You're in the family. But the way that you can understand how deeply you have embraced the cross is what you do when you sin. If when you sin, you run and you hide… You hide from God, you hide from church, you hide from community group, you hide from your spouse, you hide from yourself, you deny uh, internally things like the reality. If your sin has caused you to run and hide, uh, then, then we're bought more into Genesis 3 than into the cross. Because if the cross has truly, like, preached to us that there is no reason to run and hide, then when you sin, you run to God. Why? Because the cross has convinced you that you'll be met with love and with grace and with mercy. This is much like a a kid. If a kid has an abusive dad, when he messes up, what is he going to do? He's going to run and hide, try to make sure dad doesn't find out because it's not going to go well for him. If he messes up, he's going to use his one call for prison to call somebody else, right? Somebody that has a good dad that loves them, when they mess up, what are they going to do? Man, I got to go find dad. I got to go find dad. He can help put this back together. That's the difference in religion and the cross. The cross has removed our fear that when you sin, you no longer have to fear. Let me read this to you from the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4. Um, because like this is not a new thing. Fear is not a new thing. Fear didn't uh, enter humanity in the 21st century. It's been going on since the beginning. Uh, so the Apostle John, is, uh, he's, he's no doubt pastoring Christians in churches, and many of them were dealing with fear and anxiety. And a lot of it had to do with how, w- when they sinned, what they were doing with God. So he answers uh, their questions and gives us a little mini-sermon on this. 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 16. Uh, it's on the screen here or towards the end of your Bible. Uh, John says this, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. How do you think the Apostle John came to know that God loved them? I'll give you a hint. Just say the cross. <laughs> that wasn't even a hint. I just gave you the answer. On the count of three, everybody say the cross. One, two, three. The cross. How was John? How can John say like we have come to know uh, and to believe the love that God has for us? Well, he he was there. He, he was there. He, he witnessed the cross, and, and we're going to celebrate Easter in a few weeks, and what we celebrate at Easter is just an, a massive cosmic display of God's power. But what you see at the cross is a massive cosmic display of God's love. How do did, how did we know the love of God? God demonstrated his love for this, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is the emblem of love. So, John, understanding what Jesus was doing on the cross, convinced him of God's love. Let's keep going. God is love, he says. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence, which is the opposite of fear, because of the cross, because we know God loves us because of the cross. We have confidence for the day of judgment. You could could kind of paint the picture in Genesis 3. That was the day of judgment. Did Adam and Eve have confidence? No, they were terrified. They were afraid, they ran, and they hid. Christians have confidence on the day of judgment. How many of you thought about it in that way? You're like, you know, when I stand before Jesus, just pretend Jesus has a gavel in his hand, and he is a judge in a courtroom on a throne, and you're about to be marched up in front of him And you're going to give an account for your whole life and your attitude is like, uh, I'm just pretty excited. I'm pretty confident. How can you be confident and excited? Well, with the cross. Your only confidence in the day of judgment is the cross. If it's not the cross, you should be absolutely terrified of the day of judgment. He's saying like the cross deals with our fear of judgment because he keeps going. As he is, so also are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, that's Jesus, okay, that's not us. Perfect love is is the cross. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love, and we love because he first loved us. So the first problem that we have that comes to fear is to fear God when we sin, and the cross has removed that. When you sin, if you're in Christ, if you're under the cross, we don't run from God. There's no reason to run from God. If he's punished Christ in our place, we run to God. We call that repentance. Even Christians repent. It's not repenting to be saved. Uh, it's repenting to be, uh, have a relationship renewed, to be cleansed in, in, in a way. What we, do with, with, what we do when we sin reveals what we truly believe about the cross. So that's the first thing, uh, how Jesus is combating fear at the cross. The second thing, uh, Jesus met death, our greatest enemy, and this is both biblical. You can look at a lot of verses. First Corinthians 15 talks about this. Our greatest enemy is death. And I could just like ask you a bunch of questions uh, and we're all basically going to get to the same thing. I just, I don't want to die. I don't want my loved ones to die. My greatest enemy is death. Jesus met death, our greatest enemy, head on and he defeated it at the cross. So at the cross you see this battleground of Jesus going head on against our greatest enemy, death. And normally there's a few other verses that I would go to, but I want to I take you to Hebrews chapter 2 because I've, I've never seen it so precisely preached the way that the writer of Hebrews does. So Hebrews 2, uh, it'll be here on the screen, verses 14 and 15. It's talking about what Jesus did on the cross to deal with our greatest enemy, death, and how that alleviates our fears, the fears that cripple us day in and day out. Since, therefore... The children share in flesh and blood, meaning humans. We're, we're flesh and blood. We have humanity. And Jesus has uh, stepped out of heaven, was born just like one of us, so he has shared in our humanity. He's, he's, he's human. He himself, talking about Jesus, he likewise partook of the same things, that through death or what was taking place on the cross... He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those, this is us, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery." This doesn't mean slavery, like uh, Paul talks about slaves uh, engaging with their masters. This isn't slavery. This is he's talking about all of humanity have been slaves and have been crippled by the fear of death, and that it affects our relationships, it affects our our, our bodies, it affects our decision making. Like th- that's what that's exactly what he's saying. For fear, uh, or, sorry, uh, deliver all those who through fear of death, because we have this uh, like we have this predisposed position where we just don't like death. Death is the enemy. How many of y'all love death? Please don't raise your hand, (laughs) especially if you're my kid. This is not the moment. We hate death. We should hate death. Death was not the design. We hate death, and yet it just seems like it's coming for all of us. All of our fears have to do with death. Uh, The the, the most fearful moments I have are when my children came close to death. Uh, We fear death, and yet it's looming, it's coming for us. We try to push it off, we try to outlive it, we try to take our vitamins, and yet it's still right there. And so Jesus meets death head on at the cross, and he's saying that he's releasing us from this power. He says in this way, deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Lifelong slavery to fear because of death. That's what Jesus was doing at the cross. It was a very specific way for him to deal with with, with the ultimate cause of our fear and anxiety. And so if Jesus actually deals with death, that's the most ultimate fear that we have. He has, in essence, dealt with everything underneath it. All of the lesser things that cause us fear and anxiety. If Jesus has conquered death, he, the greatest, he has conquered all of the lesser. Now that really is, it, it's an incredible, beautiful thing, but can you still live with anxiety? Do you still live with fear? Does fear still infiltrate? Yeah, that's why we have to learn to remember and embrace all of the things the cross did daily. It's not just something that you, when you're a Christian, like, I believe the cross, I embrace it, I'm going to get me a necklace, and it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. No, it's when when you're attacked by fear and anxiety, you counter that with the cross. Like, you know what? I'm not afraid. Why? Because Jesus conquered death. Our greatest enemy was defeated at the cross. Uh, I don't think it's, it's ironic that uh, the, the command basically in one form or fashion, fear not or do not fear, uh, happens about 365 times in the Bible, uh, almost as if there's one for every day. Why is it that that's, that's the number one command in the Bible, fear not? Why? Because we have a tendency to fear. And the gospel is pushing that out, and the cross specifically gives us the the, the antidote to deal with fear in our lives, so we don't live um, that the way that the way sin has pushed us. We live under the cross. The cross pushes out fear. If you read many biographies about Christians in the first century, uh, some of whom witnessed the cross, witnessed the resurrection, talked to Jesus, hundreds of people talked to Jesus after he raised from the dead. If you, if you read stories and accounts of people that met those people, like Jewish or Roman political leaders that met those first Christians, almost always it comes up where they're just like, those people are fearless they, have, they, 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 they live their lives and try to honor Jesus in a way where like, it's like they're not even scared of death. Like they are just fearless people because that's what the cross does. The cross deals with our fear and allows us to live the lives that God has designed for us. I want to close by reading uh, Revelation chapter 21. That's probably a great place to close any sermon. Uh, but this is the end. So we saw the beginning. We saw Genesis 3 where this all uh, broke and fell apart. Uh, and then you see Jesus working in humanity through the cross to deal with fear, to deal with guilt, to deal with shame, uh, to produce people that have that, those marks no longer. Right, this, is, this, is, this is heaven for those of you who are uh, Christians and have responded to the gospel. So what I'm about to read, I'm sure you've read hundreds of times uh, a few things before I do. Uh, this should help melt away fear because what I'm reading is your destiny and there's no way around it. There's nothing you can do. Paul talks about it in, in Romans chapter 8. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall, uh, shall trial, shall tribulation, shall famine, shall nakedness? Start, like Is there anything that's going to keep you from experiencing Revelation 21? The answer is no. So if this is coming for us, there's nothing left to fear. If Jesus truly did purposefully, willfully give his life on a cross for you in your place and then he rose from the dead between now and revelation 21 it's coming he will see it through this is your story this is your future john same one that wrote 1 john 4 jesus best friend on the planet he said and then i saw and this is future this is this is really in a, in a manner god transporting John, to the future, to see an image of something that's going to take place, that Jesus is going to accomplish. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? The old one was broken. The old one was full of fear and guilt and shame, so Jesus makes a new one. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first uh, heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, that's the place of judgment and rule, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he, Jesus, for everyone that's there, everyone that's put their faith in Christ, he will wipe away... Every tear from their eyes. I, I, some, someday I would love to preach an entire sermon series on just that. Uh, for you parents in the room, you know, like, you don't deal with tears when they're happening. You wait until everything is over, everything is done, you've kissed all the boo-boos, you fixed all the problems, you bandaged all the wounds, and then when it's all over, then you wipe the tears away. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Could you imagine what your life would look like if death didn't exist? The courage that you would have, the obedience that you would have, the faith that you would have, the love that you would have, the community that you would have. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. How is that gonna be possible? The cross. The cross of Christ is putting things back together. He's redeeming what has been broken. He is dealing with fear, with guilt, and with shame. So your response is a response to Jesus. It's a response to the cross. To embrace by repentance and faith the message of the gospel that Jesus came to die on the cross, the innocent for the guilty, to redeem, to restore, that for us, there's a lot, without Christ, there's a lot of things in the world to be afraid of. And with Christ, there is nothing left for us to fear. Bow your head, close your eyes where you're at, let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, we praise you. God, I just pray that you'd help convince us, not just in our minds, but deep down, uh, deep, deep down in our hearts, that you have defeated fear, you have defeated death, and it holds no uh, power over us. Uh, Father, I pray that this is not just something we believe today, but it's something that we believe every day, that we wake up and that you would remind us that the cross stands forever as your victory over death. And that has incredible implications for us as we live our lives between now and glory. Father, for anyone in this room, God, that maybe has grown up in 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 a moral place and maybe even grown up in the church, but never has truly in their heart with their own words responded to the gospel. God, I pray that you would call them and that you would woo them by your spirit. I pray that they would feel not just the weight of their sin, but they would feel the incredible weight of your grace that you died so that you might save them and forgive them, Father. I pray that you would fill us with faith and with courage to live our lives fearless. Father, thank you for coming and for facing death face on, head on, wrestling it to the ground putting it in the grave and rising without it three days later we love you we thank you we praise you we need you and I pray all this in Christ's name Amen Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church If you want to connect with us at Redeemer we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org